Welcome to the Terminal Exchange, the official podcast of Newsbomb Transportation, where we explore key issues and compelling stories in the trucking industry. I'm your host, Sage Anderson, and you're listening to episode 101, celebrating our 100th episode, a look back at season one. Did you know that our first ever episode aired December 2018? Back then, um, maybe we didn't have video cameras and maybe we didn't know what we were doing, but <laughs> um, our first 60-ish episodes didn't have camera. Um, so this look back is gonna be full of great audio with our original host, Phil Adams. You'll hear stories about our CFO, as he's a trainee behind the wheel for a week, a colonel, a police officer, you name it. Check it out on this featured exchange. Thank you so much for uh, sitting with me here. and uh, Thank you. Glad to have you guys here. Yes. Gary, I want to start by congratulating you uh, on a milestone that you have recently achieved of 40 years here at Newsbomb. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Avis, you as well have had 15 years. That is correct. Uh, as well. So it's a bit of time between the two of you here. Tell me a little bit, Gary, on that idea. 40 years with... Uh, one company is kind of unheard of uh, anymore, especially uh, with younger generation uh, people hopping from one job to the next, using each one as a stepping stone to the next thing. Uh, tell me a little bit about that sort of commitment and uh, endurance to stay with one company for 40 years. Okay. Well, first of all, I, I shared with at a little party we had here Friday for the, my anniversary that of all the things that your parents are supposed to teach you when you're younger, I can only remember one. And that one was if you work hard for the people that you work for, you will always have a job. And so that's kind of stuck with me. And it was more of a generational thing from my parents and my grandparents' time. Um, but the thing that uh, is unique about being here at Newsbomb is that that's a two-way street. The employer has got to be faithful to the employee, too. And that's something that uh, Newsbomb has been very faithful to me. There's a lot of people that work at Mitsubishi or Eureka Williams or other places in town that they were faithful to their company, uh, but the company and the stockholders decided that they could make more money somewhere else. So I'm very, very fortunate in being able to work here at Newsbomb at a job that I always wanted to be a truck driver, so it made it easy to drive the truck, but you have to have somebody that's going to stick with you, too. Now, for those that aren't aware, uh, Gary, you, you started out as a driver here. Correct, correct. I drove for about 23 years here, uh, and then they came to me one day. Phil Breaker was the uh, uh, operating manager at the time and asked me if I wanted to come in the office. I didn't know if they wanted me in the office or wanted me off the road, uh, <laughs> but I took it that uh, I got to be home every night with my wife, and that's something, to me, the hardest part of being on the road was not the traffic, was not the weather, was not the people that you drove around. It was always the being away from home. So it's been, well, however many, 23 and <laughs> add up to 40. Avis, is that the same for you as the hardest part Gary being away from home, or was it when he came home? 
It was very difficult, his being away from home. Oh, good. I thought she was going the other way with that. <laughs> I did miss him very much. Uh, but it was also difficult when he came home because I had my own routine. I was uh, captain of the ship when Gary was away. So um, as far as drivers' wives are concerned, uh, it's a unique uh, opportunity for challenges. Mm -hmm. And uh, we probably had all those challenges just as all the other wives do but um, I thought it went perfect by the way but <laughs> well can you recall any uh, instance where it was especially challenging with Gary being away did you ever have anything blow up on you uh, while he's hundreds of miles away whatever I can't remember the details something broke something would inevitably break while he was gone and of course I would call him and he would say, well, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> I'm miles and miles away, which had not occurred to me, but I needed to tell somebody. Yeah. You know, and he was my partner and still is. Uh, but <clears throat> in the interim, we did get a plan together where he worked it out with my brother. If something broke in the future, we had it worked out that I could call my brother and Gary and my brother would talk, and my brother would help me out, get me all straightened out, whether it was getting lights back on or water. Yeah. Whenever she would call, of course, uh, being a man, I, I took it that I was getting blamed for whatever was broke, breaking. And in reality, women have this unique ability to need to share things. And all she was wanting to do was to share what was going on. I took it as I was being blamed for what was wrong. So it took a little bit of learning on my part to go, okay, she's just sharing. I don't need to fix this, you know, because I'm thinking I got to call home and find somebody to fix this thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's part of being married that uh, men seem to learn the hard way, or at least this one did. You always have that fear of when that call comes in that, you know, I think you even said this, you know, what's wrong now? Yeah. You know, the, the, the idea of you know, why is she calling? What's, what's, what's broke? What do I need to fix now? Yeah. It wasn't, hi, honey, I miss you. It's the water heater is leaking all over the basement. <laughs> but <clears throat> it was different back in our day in that there were no cell phones. Mm -hmm. And so the only time that I got to speak with, with him is when he called me from either the motel phone or a payphone. Mm -hmm. So it was... What's that? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she couldn't contact me. Mm -mm. How long have you guys been together? This morning, you mean? Or <laughs> How long have you guys been married? <laughs> well, we're working on 48 years. 48. Mm -hmm. How did you guys actually meet? You tell the story. No, oh, you tell it. You tell oh, see, it. Now they're going to fight over this. They're going to fight over it. Um, There's always two sides well, to this. Well, Avis so. and I probably lived two miles apart from each other most of our life. Didn't know that. We went to the same junior high and high school together. Didn't know each other at all. Uh, I graduated from high school in 1970. She was um, in between her junior and senior year uh, that summer, and uh, we had been out riding motorcycles. I ran around with a group of guys, probably 20 of us that had motorcycles, little dirt bikes and street bikes and just, you know, whatever you could get on two wheels. And one of the guys had thrown a chain on his motorcycle. So we all pulled over in front of the old Eureka plant here in Bloomington, and we're all sitting on the curb, and Avis and her girlfriend, 
girlfriend pulled up in a car. And I guess her girlfriend knew some of the people that were there. I don't know that you knew anybody, did you? That was there yeah, in that I knew group. Yeah, friends. No, okay. And I so just anyway, didn't know you. she had I, friends too. Yes, she had friends too. Uh, I had uh, I had my cousin on the back of my bike, Dave, and uh, so we're sitting there and waiting. And these girls come up and they're talking a little bit, and I'm checking these two girls out, you know. And believe it or not, I was really, really a shy guy. I didn't date at all at school. Didn't talk to any girls when I was in high what school. What changed? I didn't, she changed me. <laughs> turned me into a monster. And so anyway, they're standing there for a while and they decide that they want to go riding on the motorcycles. And so I speak up and say, well, one of you can ride with me. Even though I already, already had a passenger, I turned and looked at Dave and told him he's going to have to find himself another ride. And so uh, Avis went riding with me and we rode for, I don't know, a couple hours that evening with the group like that. And then my motorcycle started acting up and I said, well, I'm going to have to put this bike away. And she thought, okay, he's dumping me now. And in reality, <laughs> we got in the car and I took her home. And, and I guess they say the rest is history. I, she, was, she was the first girl I ever dated. She says she'll be the last girl I'll ever date. And she's <laughs> kind of holding me to that so far. But uh, Now, Avis, did you... How soon did you know with Gary that this could actually be something? When the car pulled up, when she pulled up and saw us there, I would think she knew right away. How soon did I know? That is a very good question. I mean, what, it wasn't on that ride, was it, with him? No. Oh, no. But she he would, was... I thought she loved me on that ride, though. I really did. I thought this girl is so into me because she squeezed me so hard with her arms around me on that motorcycle. I'd never been around another girl, and oh, <laughs> this girl loves me. I had never ridden a motorcycle before. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. And yeah, there's the truth. That's what she says now, but. But he was safe, and he was a really nice guy compared to the other young gentleman that I had dated, and he was very nice. And so my mom really decided for me. Oh. Yeah, I, her mom liked me before she liked me. That's, that's that's quite true. You, what were you doing, bringing cookies over to the house or what? No, I was just there. I was just there. She'd cook me steaks. No, it, was, <laughs> it was just wonderful. I didn't realize I was being bought, but it was it was it was pretty nice. But he's worth it. Well, tell me a little bit about kind of keeping up the relationship. Um, you know, loving each other for forty-eight years as you have. What does it take to uh, make that relationship endure. Humor plays a big role. A lot of times we can look at each other, even in a very tense situation, and make a joke out of it. Well, I, I, I tell people that uh, when you talk, when did you know that he was the one, or when did you know that she was the one, um, I could probably honestly say that probably would have been two or three years into our marriage. Hmm. Because I can honestly tell you that I did not love Avis when I married her. I was infatuated with Avis. She was the greatest thing since, you know, buttered toast. I, I, this girl just was the world to me, but I had no idea what love was. It was just the fact that she was a girl, hmm. you know, and that she wanted to be with me. Uh, and so it wasn't until a few years into our marriage that I realized, you know what, I... Maybe I might have a hint of what love is here. I don't want to be without her. I want to be around her all the time. I want to protect her. I want to take care of her. You know, I, we are friends, 
you know. Now, saying that and throwing 48 years on top of that, you can, we are not clones. You know, I do things that she doesn't like. She do things, does things that I don't like. But we still love each other and we make that work, you know. But I have to admit, <clears throat> he treats me like a princess. <laughs> and I fit that role really well. <laughs> Bill, you just came in out of the truck, straight in, uh, Given you very little downtime here uh, to think about anything before I caught you here. So uh, what are your first impressions of driving over the road? Yeah, well, first, I have a ton of respect for those that do this every day. So kudos to all you drivers. Um, second is um, probably what surprised me was just how misunderstood the uh, the truck driver is out there just dealing with the public and uh I want to get over signaling and they think they're getting me enough and give me enough room. And I don't think they are. And yeah. uh, all those kind of things. So, yep. And just, uh, I'm big and slow and yep. <laughs> so it was, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm worn out, need a few weeks to adjust to their lifestyle. Yeah. On whole different, uh, um, so many different things that my brain need to think about that it's not used to thinking about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Now you were uh, training with Mike Klein and um, he's out parking the truck right now and he's coming, he'll be in here in a minute yeah. joining us. But uh, talk about being with Mike uh, on the road. How, how was oh, that? Him yeah. having him as your trainer. Yeah. Mike did great. Uh, super patient, very knowledgeable. Um, he really uh, has picked up a lot from a lot of different people and he quotes from uh, many different ones who he learned from. So he's been a, he was, it was amazing to me how he, he, well, he didn't just have one mentor. He has a ton of them. Yeah. Yeah. Super patient. Um, but he was persistent. He wasn't going to let me get by with things that were unsafe or uh, inappropriate out there. Yeah. So uh, at times that would, uh, that would grate on me. I'm trying, but it's not happening. And, uh, <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me, uh, you, so you started out Monday morning early, right? right this right. week. And it is now Friday afternoon. Yep. Uh, about three thirty in the afternoon and you're, you're back in here. Yep. Um, a good full solid week there. Uh, where'd you start out at? Okay. So I think we met here at the yard at, uh, a little after four thirty Monday morning. And then we went over to, uh, York PA from there, um, picked up in Collegeville PA and went up to, uh, Massachusetts with a, a broker load. After that, we did three stops out there in Massachusetts, New York and Connecticut um, heading back to uh, to Indy, and then from Indy went to Lebanon, and here we are. So, so you got the easy stuff. Yeah, that was uh, that was actually fun. Actually, uh, um, I am nowhere near a driver. I want to make sure that's clear, and I also want to thank Brent Newsbaum for allowing me and uh, and supporting me and doing this. But I think one thing that I um, didn't realize that was going to be uh, so much for me to remember is just like the uh, at the uh, shippers and the consignees. The uh, drop and hook was, uh, I'm not real, real smooth on that yet. Mm. Just the different steps, drop and hook and sliding the tandem. Simple stuff for the experienced guys. But uh, for me, with the, the week I had, I felt like the on the road stuff, I, I kind of am more comfortable with that than I yeah. am with uh, drop and hook. Backing, I can do it. I need to get out and look and to pull forward a lot more than anybody else that drives for us does. But um, anyways... That's where we're at. <laughs> now, did you hit anything? Not that I'm aware of. 
Good enough. Good yeah. enough. Yeah, so that, <laughs> I'm kind yeah. of interested to see, you know, to hear from him how his drive is home in his pickup. Right. Compared, yeah. you know, because now you got to go hop talk, into your four, four right. wheel. Most of us talk about, you know, how we drive our personal vehicles like we drive our trucks. We take wide turns. Uh-huh. Uh, we're looking at the way stations. Do we need to go in? You know, that kind of thing. So <laughs> that, you know, he's probably going to avoid the way stations on the way home, I'm guessing. But yeah, uh, that's right. Um, yeah. One more thing. I, I do need to have some words with Doug Bradle on Monday. On Sunday before I left, I seen Doug and he joked with me that he, I thought he was joking that he was going to give me a broker load to Massachusetts. Well, then uh, we um, wrapping up our load on Tuesday and we get a call from dispatch and they say, you got a broker load to Massachusetts right across the George Washington bridge. So we changed the routing. So we didn't, that didn't happen, but. So you didn't get to go across the GW. No, we missed that opportunity. Man. Well, I kind of said too. I said if we're going to do it, I'm going to drive it because I've never driven it yet. I said you no, haven't done it yet. I'm not going to cross it yet. We were like so. kind of had a tussle because I kind of wanted to drive, so. oh, but oh. I didn't know that I wanted to drive across that. Well, I think I might have won because right at the very beginning, the first day, you said, "Mike, you're the boss." <laughs> I don't know if that would have held up. I don't know if it would have held up until that day, but uh, right. I would have tried to play that card. That's right. So. And, and one thing Mike has on his visor, he has a little thing that um, his girlfriend gave him about. Um, a sea turtle and says just to be kind and gentle. I had to think about that last night is uh, that's just how as a trucker, I think you have to be out there because you're so misunderstood. And uh, it reminded me of the sea turtles are, they're big and they don't move very fast, but they're very kind and gentle. And um, so that really, uh, that really struck me. Mm. If we can do that. And I think of our, of our vision, we, we say that, uh, you know, we want everybody to be in a better place for having dealt with our company. And I think that even means interaction with our trucks on the road. So if we can show the other mothers the respect, even when they don't respect us. And I even thought in the morning when I'd get up for the day, obviously praying for safety, but praying for them and trying to think of that when uh, someone does something that I'm thinking that didn't make any sense. Um, so, and I think our drivers do a great job of that, but that kind and general kind of stuck with me that that's how we got to be, because if we don't, we're going to hurt somebody. Yeah. Adrian, you are one of the most interesting, I think, <laughs> drivers that we've got here, uh, at least in my experience from just what I know your interests and everything to be. So I'm very excited to get into this and, and talk to you for the next uh, few minutes and find out more about your story. So uh, thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me in here. Uh, let me, let, let's go back. Obviously, we know you're driving a truck here at Newsbomb and everything now. So let's get some of the easy stuff out of the way here and talk about you just getting into driving professionally, how that kind of got started for you. Your first gig driving did not involve actually driving a truck. It was actually a bus, correct? It was a bus. It was a, it was an old school bus painted blue with white mountains on the side. And, uh, it was, uh, at a ski resort in Northern Vermont. Um, I was just out of college and I, had my first job out of college was a, a corporate job and and I was there for a few months and it just wasn't a good fit for me. So I was thinking, well, what else can I do? And um, I was a snowboarder. That's why I was up in Vermont in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, I thought, well, it'd be cool if I could work at the ski resort and get a free season pass so I can, you know, go snowboarding. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, so I was looking at what jobs are available at the resort and, and there was shuttle bus driver, you know, class B CDL required, but uh -huh. will train. And, and it was one of the better paying jobs at the resort because 
it required a, an actual a skill. skilled. Yeah. yeah. So how was that for you as far just the job part of it? Forget the, the, the snowboarding side of it, but <laughs> the, 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 the job of, of doing that driving. what do you think of that? It was a blast. I love that job. That's one of my favorite jobs I ever had. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would drive up and down the mountain. The, the base lodge was at the lower part of the mountain and then the, uh, there were, uh, parking areas at the top and lifts. So I would drive up and down the mountain all day long and, and transport skiers and snowboarders and got to chat with them about skiing, about mm -hmm. what the terrain was like, about what the weather was like that day. And, and yeah. Yeah. Now being in that environment where you got some snow and everything, right. And mm -hmm. do you ever have any situations at oh, all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got some good winter experience up there, that's for sure. Because, you know, when you're driving a shuttle bus at the ski resort, when it starts snowing, you don't get to park and, you know, call your dispatcher and say, eh, it's not safe out here. It's That's when you get busy. So. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Anybody ever get a little scared on your bus? Um, Probably. They <laughs> they didn't let me know that until after the fact. But for the most part, it was it was more like, a, a big sigh of relief and, oh, wow, you know, uh, <laughs> after the fact of what happened. And then they let yeah. me know how nervous they had been when they saw what was about to happen. No doubt. I, I know I've been on some of those different buses, maybe not at ski lift deal, but at the lodge. But uh, when I've been on excursions, say in Jamaica or something, and had these really narrow roads and these drivers driving these buses, I've been impressed at the skill level of some of these drivers. Oh, yeah. And, and how good they are and how close they can get in. You know, and doing their doing their thing, and yeah, anybody that's not real familiar, be sitting there. I think white knuckling their seat or whatever. The, uh, and but uh, I've been impressed at the the skill I, level I of some of these drivers. I think it's like us as truck drivers. You know, backing into docks and we do things over and over and yeah. over again. And somebody else would look at that and say, "How do they do that?" And it's the same thing with those guys driving around the little mountain cliff yeah. and you know sheer drop on exactly. the other side. <laughs> so now, how much time did you actually get? to play on the mountain there as well? Um, a fair amount, a fair amount. Yeah. Um, I lived up there for years okay. and, and through different jobs. And so, yeah, especially on the weekends, I could, I could get out there. I've never time. tried snowboarding or skiing yet. Mm -hmm. I actually think I'd rather do snowboarding than skiing personally. Really? A lot of people say that skiing is actually a little bit easier to get started with, but I, for me, I kind of feel like I would do better with snowboarding. But, some uh, people go straight into it. Yeah. yeah. So now there, there's what would they call it? Uh, goofy footed. And right. that's if you, how's that work? That's if you lead with your non-dominant uh, or with your dominant. You lead with your, gosh, I don't know, because I'm goofy foot and I'm left-handed. So I write backwards and I ride backwards, but that's, there's not always a direct correlation. There's often a correlation. <laughs> But so you're left-handed. So which which foot do you I'm, have in front? I'm left-handed, and then my right foot is forward in okay. my stance. So I feel like I yeah. would feel better with my left foot forward. Are you right or left? -handed? I'm right-handed. Right-handed, yeah. left foot forward. Left foot forward. Then yeah, then that would be regular foot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel like I would do better. I could be completely wrong about that, but that just yeah. that feels a little bit more natural to me. Yeah. Not a skateboarder or any of that. At this point, I'm I'm getting to the point where if I if I try doing that, I'm probably coming home with broken you know, limbs and stuff. <laughs> And it's just not going to be good news, but mm -hmm. someday maybe I'll still try it. But uh -huh. I think you should. It's a blast. <laughs> but what's your favorite part about doing that sort of activity of, of skateboarding, or not skateboarding, but um, of snowboarding? And I know you've got some other, you know, outdoor activities that you like as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
I like being outdoors is the big thing. Um, I've always been drawn to kind of high speed, little bit of risk, little bit of adventure mm. activities. And now you're in a 65 mile an hour truck <laughs> going down the road. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Just kind of fit. You know. <laughs> Where's the best place to go snowboarding? Um, out east or kind of. If you had your choice of where you're going to go, set up and and go, like if you okay. if you could go live somewhere and just be, and, and get on on the slopes anytime you wanted. Absolutely, best place is Jay Peak up in northern Vermont. Um, it's the northernmost resort, and they get hands down the best snow every winter. There's just something about. Um, Something about the way the wind and the clouds come through the mountains, they just get dumped on. Nice. And and they're they're out of the way from the more touristy resorts yeah. and, and the terrain is a blast and um yeah, yeah, be up there. Cool. <laughs> you, you know, well, when they would say, wow, you've had a lot of jobs or something in effect, like maybe you can't keep a job. My answer was, well, I need to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And I think I have. It's called retired. <laughs> When's the last time you had to tell somebody uh, that you still were figuring out uh, what you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, probably six months ago, maybe less. <laughs> uh, and, and you're how old now? I'm 67. 67. I'm still I'm figuring out what you want to going, be when you grow going up. Going to be the company's <laughs> oldest truck driver soon, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned working with uh, John Kelly. Yes. And him having a good sense of humor and everything. I, I, I feel like there's. You might be able to give us a story. Is there something that you're <laughs> able to share? Actually, there? there there is. Um, it's really neat. Uh, I requite truck driving in the military, very much the same. You never know who you're going to meet in uniform. Hmm. And you never know who you're going to meet driving a truck. Yeah. They're the most interesting people if you take the time to get to know them. In this case, I met a Navy commander by the name of Eric St. Peter, who was a Mustang like me. He came in as a as a E-1 in the Navy, and they trained him as a cook. Now, I'm thinking he must be a pretty good cook because he told me he ended up when he was an E-4 cooking in the White House for George Bush Sr. and President Clinton's first term. Smart guy, he got his degree while he's doing that, and he becomes an officer. And uh, he uh, came down, and General Kelly picked him as his personal aide. And so he knew that I would bring these avocados in. He came to me one day and said, would you get me a really nice big one? I found out that General's wife loves avocados. Hmm. And so I said, Sure. So I found a really nice one. I had brought a bunch of them in, and I brought it into the command suite where General Kelly's office is and all his staff is. And I saw uh, Eric, and I said, here, this one's for the general. He said, wait here. And he goes into the general's office, and I'm chit-chatting with an Army sergeant when he comes out, and he winks at me and goes and sit down. And General Kelly's a pretty big guy. And all of a sudden, it was like somebody blacked out the sun. He's standing in the doorway, and this big, booming voice says, I want to know who brought this big avocado in here. Well, his staff doesn't know what's going on. They think somebody tried to play a practical joke, and they're all in trouble, and they're all standing stiff at attention. And uh, I'm retired. I stand at attention out of respect for sure. this rank, you know. But I looked around. I'm kind of laughing. Because they're all rolling their eyes at each other like, who did that? We're in trouble. And finally I said, sir, that'd be me. And he was about 20 feet away. And in about two steps, he bounded over, grabbed my hand and said, thank you very much, sir. I'll take all those you can get. The little woman just loves them. 
<laughs> so about a week or so later, general officers don't go anywhere without a whole entourage of people sure. with them, you know. And so I'm walking up the hallway, and uh, you might recall in the news some time back, I believe it was General Kelly was on his way, like, to the Capitol and um, got t- snarled up in traffic. And he jumped out of the limo and just took off down the street. And the, the Secret Service are scurrying to catch up with him. I bet. He moves with a purpose. And uh, he was coming down the hallway, and here's this all entourage behind him. And I saw a two-star and a couple one-stars and the command sergeant major, you know. Well, I meet him in the hallway. He's way ahead of him. And he just kind of makes a little pistol with his finger and thumb and uh, winks at me and says, avocado man. (laughs) (laughs) And so he walked on by. They're trying to catch up with him. And this one-star general heard that. And... uh, he didn't understand what that was all about. He reached out and grabbed me by the coat and wheeled me around and said, I want to know what the general meant, avocado man. <laughs> and uh, I thought about it and I said, boy, if this, ad, if this general knew that I was just a retired colonel, he'd have me up against the wall, you know, probably having me doing push-ups or something. So I thought, I'm just going to play it smart. So I just looked him in the eye, real casual, and I said, well, John and I are friends. And I walked off, <laughs> and he ran to catch up with the general. <laughs> oh, nice. Now, speaking of amazing things, um, if you've traveled enough, there's there's some places where you're you're familiar with seeing some elephants. <laughs> However, I understand you have an experience with an elephant that's not just a statue. <laughs> and so th- this is a story that I think is worth sharing because how often does this happen? <laughs> well, you're right, uh, Phil. The the typical North American elephant is a statue. <laughs> but this goes back many, many years ago. I was a college student. I was in a Christian college in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And it's really how I started my driving career. I got a job driving a truck for a bulldozer, Caterpillar dealership. And I would drive at night from Chattanooga down to Marietta, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, mm-hmm. pick up bulldozer parts and, and bring it back. And then I went to school in the daytime. And um, <laughs> down south, while we're getting the snow and the blizzards up here, they're getting rain. So invariably, it seems like there's heavy rain at night. And this particular night, I'm coming up Interstate 75, and a pickup truck had passed me. They had school furniture, desks just stacked ridiculously high. And I thought, wow, that, that's not safe. And he went on past me, and I drove for a while, and there's a bunch of flashing lights, and all of a sudden I'm seeing desks, children's chairs and stuff, dragged down the middle of the road. This is on Interstate 75. Well, we have to come to a stop. And what the state police did is they routed the northbound part of the traffic down into the median and up to one side on the southbound lane Mm. to get around this accident and then back across the median. And so the cars went down. Now, it's raining really hard, and it's kind of muddy down that median. So I eased my truck down in there, and, of course, I had a pretty good load on, and sure enough, I get stuck. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) the, the state trooper wasn't real happy. It's raining and miserable out, and he's yelling at me to get my truck out of the way, and I'm holding up traffic, and I can't get anywhere. I'm trying to rock it back and forth, and my headlights pick up a little 
fella that was barely four and a half feet high. Just a little bitty guy. Well, as I had been traveling north after that truck went by, I had passed different parts of what apparently was a traveling circus. And this fella jumped up on my running board. I rolled down the window and he says, just wait right here. I'll get my elephant. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought later, was I dreaming this? You know? And I'm like, well, whatever, I got to get this truck out of here. And I'm trying to rock back and forth. I could move just a little bit, but the tires would spin. And uh, I'm getting kind of frustrated. And I look up, and here this fellow is with the biggest elephant I had ever seen. <laughs> and he comes up to my truck, and he says, do you have a rope? And I said, no, but I got a big chain. And we hooked that to the front of my truck and hooked it to the harness on that elephant. And he gave a command, and that elephant pulled my truck right up on that median, just like he wasn't pulling anything at all. (laughs) Who needs horsepower when you got elephant power? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The funny thing is, is I remember thinking, okay, I need to, uh, you know, put it in gear and get the get the clutch out when he starts pulling me to kind of aid. And I really doubted this elephant was going to do anything. Right. I wasn't driving a semi. It was a, it was a Ford 750 flatbed. Okay. I could haul like 21,000. Yeah. Still plenty of weight. (laughs) Yeah. Dual, dual tires on the back. And so, um, I remember hearing that diesel because they had a diesel engine. I remember hearing that engine roaring as I'm mashing on an accelerator and the front end of my truck just pulled right up. When that elephant leaned into that, <laughs> and we slowly come up out of that ditch on the road and uh, got out. And all of a sudden, just as I got out, I let the clutch out. I realized I never had it in gear. <laughs> that elephant had done all of the work pulling that truck up out of that wow. mud. Yeah, that's, that's, so, that's impressive. <laughs> so... You know, I learned a lesson back then. It was many years ago, but as a truck driver, just prepare, be prepared for anything. You never know. Mr. Neal, and it is Barbour, correct? Yes, correct. <laughs> French, right? It's French. Yes, it is. Straight out of Canada. <laughs> exactly. You sent me some pictures, Neil, um, back, um, what was it, maybe June, July, you sent me some pictures from a mission trip that you went on uh, to Tijuana. Yeah, Tijuana. So you weren't Mexico. there for vacation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was mission trip. Uh, you were you were building, correct? Yeah, it's it's a home building mission from uh, our, our church, Joyful Harvest, up in Johnsburg, and uh, we work with an organization called what is it called uh, Cross Borders Concerns, and um, they work with El Divino in Tijuana. To select these sites, you know the uh, Daniel and El and El Divino. He f- goes and finds the families that qualify, and they, they all they do is pour the concrete, a slab, mm-hmm. and we build the walls and roof around it. It's it's not a it's not a real big project. It only costs two thousand dollars to build that house. That's impressive. Now, but it is it is a small place. So so who is who are the recipients of these houses? Who, who's going to be living in there? Oh, generally it's going to be families uh, with children. Okay. Yeah. It's in Tijuana. It's, it's pretty crowded and it's a pretty poor area where we're uh, building these homes, mountainsides. And they're, they're generally living in uh, tires and tarps and wooden pallets. 
So we hmm. replace all of those things with a regular structure, a painted structure, sealed, roofed, and everything. Put real windows, a real door in there with keys and locks, things that they've never used before. Wow. Now, do you do you get to meet these people? Absolutely. They're, they're working right alongside okay, us. Okay, so they're, they're, they're working with long. you. Absolutely, yeah. Very good. You'll see the pictures of, of me and the uh, one young son. I'm, he was using the paint, and I'm just watching him paint the side of his house, you know. I'm sticking my head out there. Yeah. See that there? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I do have these pictures in front yeah. of me here and, and looking. And, you know, the... the Building to me, I'm I'm just observing here, looking at these pictures. That the building there is is a little different. They probably don't have nearly the the code standards that no, no. if there's any at all, um, than from what we're used to here in the U.S. Because um, it looks like to me, you're you're you've got some OSB uh, plywood up here on the. Um, that's all it as, is. As your walls yeah, on, on some studs. Two and by you're, and fours. You're, and you're painting directly to that. You're not, there's no siding going up or anything like that. It doesn't look like to me. Maybe some. Uh, no, nope, uh, there's no siding. Just, just OSB all, and all paint. OSB. Yeah. And, uh, and you get a roof up there. Um, we trim it with just the same material. We just trim the seams, cover the seams up, and then we caulk those. So it's watertight. So th- there's there's no I'm assuming here that there's there's no no plumbing, no inside no here, plumbing, no, no electrical even, or is there no any electrical? electrical. Okay. Um, but what it is providing is is a shelter, shelter, uh, absolutely. That well, like you said, it's more than it's more of a shed. <laughs> it is it is more of a shed, yeah. uh, but that's still better than you know, tires and <laughs> tarps and pallets. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So I mean, I've never. I think a lot of us think of Tijuana as. Uh, you know, vacation destination and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the coast. I suspect right? it would be, yeah. but uh, and and a lot of actually, I think that's probably true of a lot of these island locations and everything too. Where um, in in the Caribbean and such that you go and uh, you're you're used to having the party vacation or you know honeymoon, uh, but you're seeing the the fringe. <laughs> of that and you're not seeing you what, get two blocks the, away from it you'll see the locals, the are locals actually, how they're actually living. day in day in and day out how they live yeah, yeah. so why so you said you did this with your church correct yeah, joyful heart um how did you guys get connected up with that um well i think the these? you know over the years it came down from uh one church to another church and mm-hmm. we had uh ray pratcher our um Big Carpenter, you know, he came and he says, well, this is a mission that he's been working on for years already. And he asked the rest of us to join him. Well, it took a couple of years before I decided to go. And, and oh. now they go twice a year. Wow. I mean, they'll be going November 5th down there. And what they're going to do is the mission that we stay at, we're housed in a mission down there. Okay. And it's got a, a big room of, Men in another room of women with get bunk beds and everything is separated there, so we don't have any improprieties or anything. Right, right, right. So they're going to go down and work on the mission itself. I mean, they they're going to install um, locks and doors, maybe because we had a, a a kitchen window that was left open last when June. We woke up in the morning, and the cats had gotten into the kitchen. Oh. <laughs> and our bread was kind of scattered all over the yeah, kitchen. Over yeah. there. But, so they'll work on uh, improving the emission windows and 
And I think there's some uh, some roofing and some soffit stuff they're gonna do. Yeah, but it's it every year they improve the mission one year, and then June we go down and we build homes for the uh, locals. And yeah. you know when you see these people receive their keys, the joy that is in their heart, that's better than the love of God right there. Yeah, yeah. So and and I think you might have just answered this question, but why is this important to you to be involved in? Yeah, exactly. To to spread the love of God, to help the poor. That's what we're commanded to do as Christians, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. We're supposed to help in every way we can. And and that's just one more way to help. Mr. Kent Pitchford, I got you in here. I've been kind of wanting you for a little while to talk to you. I think this is going to be a fun, interesting conversation to have with you. So yes, thank, thank you for being here. I think most people around here, at least especially around the office here, know, know who you are. They, you know, you've got a you're, you're a bigger personality. Yeah. And I call uh, it politicking. I'm going <laughs> politicking to all my friends here at Nussbaum. Because I've done it ever since our old office. And a lot of them it's, I've got to know and all that. Some of them, when I was sick, you know, would call me and keep, keep up on me. But I always but I always let them know when they're doing wrong, messing up, see the sales guys, you know, <laughs> they lost my account for caterpillars, and I just sat down in front of them. And I said, "I won't take out your kneecaps, you know, for running." And I had this dedicated run for seven, six years, you know. And I said, "You know, I told Chris Rand, I said, take your kneecaps out, buddy." I said, "That's yeah, messing with my gravy, you know, because I left at noon on Tuesday and got home Friday night, early Saturday morning, you know. And I could find better run than that, you know." But I got a hold of Josh Stradlin and, and uh, Tyler, and they offered me the case run, and I love it. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Shane, uh, yeah. But we always got to come in and keep dug in line, because I told him Brent has me come in to keep track of everybody, you know, to make sure they're doing their jobs and yeah, keep them in yeah, line I, and everything. You know? I was, I was at the, the, the girls over there in accounting said that uh, found out that I was going to be talking with you here this afternoon. Mm-hmm. They told me to ask you uh, – you know, what accountants do. Oh, they're okay. my favorite women of all the world, except for my wife and daughter, you know, because they're the one that takes care of my paycheck, see. And I told them, I said, you know, you guys are the best people in the whole company, you know, because got to keep them happy because they cannot accidentally lose your paycheck for one day, you know. Now, yeah, they, so. they, they told me, though, that you felt a little differently about Drew when, when he right. was in there. Right, you know, because he wears them sissy shoes, you know. The, <laughs> and, uh, like, a little preppy for me, you know. It's like, <laughs> I'm an old country boy, you know. I'm like, yeah. As long as you don't put a skirt on, we're okay, you know. I'm like, <laughs> Brian, but you know, now Brian wears skirts because Mindy wears the pants to family, you know. And I'm surprised, you know. And like I tell him, it's like you're the only person I know could fall off a tricycle two feet, two inches <laughs> off the ground and break your arm, you know. I'm like, but anyways, you know. I love well, the guy. I appreciate mm-hmm. you keeping everybody in line around here. Oh, yeah. Uh, that Your sense of humor is, is... Oh, yeah. You can't have a sense of humor. You can't take things in a joking manner, you know, something's wrong. You can't be serious all the time because, you know, you'd be like Bill, get all blue and, and red in the face because he's, you know, frustrated and, and, and uh, get all aggravated, you know, because they get your blood pressure up, you know. I might be a big guy, but I ain't on blood pressure pills because you don't let things get to me, you know. <laughs> Except for my paycheck now. You don't mess with my money. <laughs> then my blood pressure goes up. You know? 
But, uh, no, it's, I love everybody here. And uh, I've told them all, and it made me feel real good when I, right before I went in to get my cancer surgery, Brent told me that I always had a job. Since I get, no matter how long I need it all, just come back and I had a job. Made me feel good, you know, yeah. made me feel good. And then, and I went through all the certified red. Back, you know, when we did first certified red, you know, there was just a handful of us. Right. And uh, it was more of a prestige kind of thing, you know, but made you feel better because, you know, it was just you, you know, and Randy and a couple of other guys, yeah. Neil, and, you know, now it's everybody, you know, they take, they just want to be like Mike, you know. Like, well, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I go, you know, well, you, you guys, you guys blaze the trail there, right. and now you got everybody following in right. your footsteps. Oh yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> they just want to wear a red hat. You know, I look. I almost <laughs> applied for a driving job just so I could get that red hat because right, I can't right. get a red hat. Oh yeah, I look. I, yeah. I for life of me, I cannot get a red hat. I sell you that hat for two hundred fifty dollars. Do you need them all right now? I need it up, bro. <laughs> um, I don't trust anybody who comes to money. <laughs> but anyway, no, I, I, I don't wear it that much because I want it to last forever. Because Brent handed me that hat and made me proud. And the uh, ring, well, we had to do some adjustments on that. But, you know, made me feel good getting that. You know, a lot of guys, well, what? it's the mump and pay. You know, you get the two cents a mile and all that. But it's more of a, accomplishment you know because mm-hmm. i've been there and done that and i've done a lot of things you know sure. and since i come here i just done everything but try to be better myself you know and, and uh, i work with try to work on my scores and a lot of guys it doesn't matter but i've got the time on my runs where i can make it and if i can't make it oh well i'm still gonna work on my score you know but it works out you yeah. know jim's a great guy he works with you yeah you know, and I like Jim. I like any of them. And I, and I got to give a shout out to all them guys in the office that's going out and get their CDLs. That brings me, gives me a little bit more respect for them because they're trying. And all the ones that, you know, like Steve Schultz, he used to drive a truck. Yep. Gary, you know, and even the ones that's been in the business, they've been in the, working here for long enough. They know trucking. You know, they may not have, you know, be driving or whatever, but, you know, they know the industry. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot more respect for that. You know, get these wet behind the ears guys that probably just come out of school or something trying to tell you. And that's why guys have a hard time with the driver managers because, you know, they just, they don't have no, they probably have never touched a steering wheel in a truck, let alone been inside them to uh, didn't be able to understand the industry and how they mm-hmm. work. Kirsten Gee, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? A little good. nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no need to be nervous. Okay. This is it's just you and me and the hundreds of thousands of people that are listening. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> no, I think we've got 20 listeners at least. So oh, it cool. won't be too That's bad. Awesome. And you probably know them all yeah, already. Probably. And most of them know you as well. Mm-hmm. Uh most likely from your work overnight, third shift, uh, in operations. Correct. That's a fun shift, right? Yeah, it can be. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the more interesting things that you've had to deal with overnight? Oh, man. Um, well, the one that first comes to mind is uh, we had a driver call me. And he says, I, I had to, I'm on the side of the interstate. I had to press emergency, um, 
you know, camera button. And can you see if it got it? He didn't tell me what happened or anything. And I said, yeah, you know, give me a couple minutes. Let's see if it loads. Cause a lot of times they don't load straight away, right. but because he had pressed the button, I think that helped it. I don't know. So I get on there and he's on the right side of the interstate traveling down the right lane. And in the left lane, this van gets in front of him kind of off to his, you know, left, but still in front of him. And this guy jumps out of the passenger side door and like rolls in front of him and he missed him. But the guy, you know, passed, we think he passed away according to the driver. But so I call the driver back and I go, you could have warned me, you know, you could have told me, you know, what I was going to be seeing, you know, but, um, at the time, he thought that he was going to be okay. They life flighted him and stuff out of there. But I think the cops told him later that the guy passed away. So that's one of like the more crazy things that have happened. Wow. But yeah. So yeah. you just never know. You know, we have we take things all from, you know, uh, you know, guy backed into me. You know, at the right. Um, you know, truck stop. And those are so weird. Even uh, we've told safety. You know, we won't have one for three weeks, and then in one night we'll get like four of them. You uh, know, and so we're filling must out. Be when there's a full moon or yeah who knows yeah we should we should start (laughs) looking at that but yeah so that's that's a crazy one um you know i've had people um you know call and a loved one has passed away or you know you know grown man on the phone crying and you're trying to comfort him as well as say okay let's you know what can i do to get this guy home you know now i'm an empath so i kind of like dave (laughs) i gotta go take a break you know i might tear up or whatever but you know it's you know uh, you know, it's part of life. You know, there's joys and tragedies. And um, I can't imagine being on the road and having, you know, something like that occur. So I try to treat that with as much care as I, you know, one can without really, I mean, I can't help the situation particularly except for to say, okay, how am I going to get this guy home? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So now outside of work here, mm-hmm. Um, now you've got kind of a interesting schedule doing this cause you're working 12 hour shifts. So yes. you're not doing like a five day a week thing. It's kind of a weird thing. And right. we won't even get into how <laughs> yeah. that actually works. Um, cause it's just, it's confusing. It hurts my head. Yeah. Um, but out, outside of work, I know just from my involvement with move it and everything that you've mm-hmm. in the past, anyway, you've, you've been involved in running, you ran a marathon, yes. um, a couple years ago or something like that, mm-hmm. but has, has running and, and, you know, that kind of wellness and everything been kind of a part of you? Is that something um, newer? Or? Yeah, I grew up playing softball. So I played softball for 20 years. Um, and really, when I was in high school, we had a coach who really pushed us. You know, I was a kid that hated to run and hated conditioning. And <laughs> and she really got us to a point um, where, you know, that's what builds you on and off the field. You know, then when I went to college, I was insistent. I told my friends, I said, you cannot let me gain the freshman 15 or whatever. So I, <laughs> I ran a lot in college. Plus I didn't have a car. So I was walking everywhere too. So I kept that up. Um, and then, uh, two, well, it would have been two and a half years ago. Um, I hadn't been doing anything and I looked in the mirror and was like, I was the heaviest I'd ever been. And I'm like, I'm doing, I'm, I'm going to run a marathon. It always been on my bucket list. My mom ran one when she was in her forties. And, um, if you've ever even just been to one and witnessed one, she mm-hmm. ran the Chicago Marathon, which I am like not about because I don't like being around crowds or cities or anything. <laughs> she just watching her do it. And at the time when she said she was going to do it, you know, our whole family was like, yeah, oh, okay. Like mom's never ran. Like, what is she thinking? But she did it. And like, everyone's crying at the finish line and all this stuff. And so since then, that was in 2006. 
I, I've always just been, I've always kind of lived my life on a bucket list sort of deal anyway. So <laughs> I'm like marathons on it, you know? So I tried to do it in college, started training for it. And I hurt my foot playing intramural soccer. I had foot surgery. So that ended it then. Yeah. And then, so this just two and a half years ago or whatever, I'm like, this, this is going to be it. And so I trained and trained and, um, I actually found a place. Um, it's up in Ely, Minnesota. There was only 88 participants, and you run through the woods. <laughs> you and, really didn't want the crowd, did yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> no, not at all. It's a beautiful, beautiful, um, you know, just place to run and be up there. So mm. um, I ran it up there, and I was like an hour slower than I wanted to be, and but I finished it. But um, it was, um, yeah, I don't think my legs have ever hurt that bad in my yeah. life. But um, I did it, and... So then I wanted to train last year to run and do it better. And then I tore my meniscus in my knee. So I haven't really done anything since then, Um, but it's still in my back of my mind. And now the pain from like finishing the first one is kind of like way back. And I'm like, okay, I could do this again, you know? So anyway, but it's numbed enough that you're you're okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it, it's, it's weird though, because you, um, you know, I thought I was training right and doing all this stuff, but it taught me a lot too. Like I had to walk some and I hit a wall and everyone talks about this wall and I'd never hit the wall before. So then to hit it while I was doing that, I'm like, I found the wall, you know, <laughs> but like, so cause tw- at 23 miles, I was like rough, like it was bad. And, um, but I finally, my mom was at there, she came and watched and they met me and you could like meet people as they're running along and she gave me some ibuprofen. And I never even thought of that. But once I took that, I could finish. I finished, I ran the rest of the nice. way. Like it didn't hurt. And I'm like, Oh, I need to keep on that in mind for next time. But it makes sense that I need to, cause all I did in training was run and really you need to strengthen your body in other ways. I mm-hmm. like, core lifting right. or just stuff like that. And I'm like, Oh, do I want to put that Amazing time how in. much actually really goes yeah, into I doing know. some like yeah, long distance that. running and yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, so, so ex- explain to me this bushcrafting then mm-hmm. what, what, okay. So bushcrafting, I haven't really entered into, I, um, it's like going out with like no tools or, you know, maybe five tools or something and just living off the land and feeding yourself and being able to build a shelter and all those things. So I've never, I've not gotten to that point, but I do go out, for 10 days or two weeks at a time with a pack and a tent and canoe, you know, modern gear mm-hmm. and a canoe. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I go up to the boundary waters or in Quitico, that's the Canadian side of it. And you, uh, portage from lake to lake and portaging is just you carrying your canoe or your pack or both. I do multiple. I always overpack always. Like I bring a full size hairbrush out in the woods. Like that's my <laughs> one to like go to item of that's like, fun. that's my comfort item because like I, if anybody's tried to brush right? this hair. Yeah, yeah. With, um, you know, tiny little, you know, dollar comb it's not going to work. So, um, <laughs> but besides that, it's bare essentials, freeze dried food. Um, then of course, if you catch fish and everything out there, um, you know, I'm eating fish every day, um, which a fresh, you know, northern caught walleye out of, you know, clear water and stuff. Nothing beats that. So I go do that. And then um, what I normally do is I go as far in as I can in a day or two. And then I base camp on one single lake and just try to fish that lake. And probably my favorite thing to fish for. I love fishing for walleye. I've caught big walleye, but I love lake trout fishing. And there are times where you might catch one a whole trip because they're, 
they're elusive. I mean, you got to have enough drifting. You got to have enough, you know, they will, they'll follow bait. They've done research on them. They'll follow bait for, you know, an hour sometimes before they decide they want to hit it or whatever. And um, I'll never forget the first time I caught one, I was in my solo canoe and it drug, I kept telling people, it drug me around like an alligator. It was the biggest high ever, you know, and the bo- the poles like bending all the way over the side. And I had, that was the first real time I had to learn how to use the drag on my reel. And that feeling is like, ah, oh, I got another big one. Like that's what um, is really cool going out there. Nice. Yeah. That, and I noticed a couple of times ago, I was on a lake, middle of the lake and, um, there was no noise. Like even here, when you think it's silent, it's mm. truly not silent. You have a buzz of this electronic or something. And if you're and, anywhere around here, you've at least got even from the distance sound of the highway. Yeah, and mm-hmm, yeah. all that because there's there's still city. There's stuff going mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, and to just sit in that silence, it's weird because yeah. it's almost uncomfortable. No, let's. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It is uncomfortable, but at the same time. Now, every trip I go, I look for that moment because it's not something I can grasp or, or find here ever. Yeah. And it just kind of renews, uh, rejuvenates you and renews your soul. Yeah. Hugh Sands, <laughs> I want to shake your hand. I, look, I, I enjoy shaking your hand. You've got some big, big hands. Big good, good, hands, good, yeah. good handshake. Um, you've got um, some interesting background here uh, before getting into trucking and everything and uh your experience uh, we had just interviewed um jeff jackson a while back right police officer you know spent a lot of time in law enforcement you as well right. have, uh, spent many years in law enforcement before entering trucking um you want to tell me just to give me some high level about that uh career and maybe we'll get some stories out of there too but uh what what, what did you spend your time doing um uh. Back in September of 93, I got hired on the sheriff's department. I was assigned to the jail. Um, and then with with that, I, I became a police officer in several different villages. One of them is our fuel stop, Village of Oakwood, where we fuel a lot. Uh, yep. I was the police chief there. I was, a, I was a police officer there for probably 18 years of the 22 years I was in law okay, enforcement. Wow. Uh, and biggest... Uh, claim to fame there uh, was an unfortunate incident of a church bombing. I was the first one mm. at the scene. Mm. Uh, actually made a copy of Forensic Files. Uh, you can briefly see me in the very beginning of that episode of Forensic Files. Uh, that was that was very unique. Uh, seen a lot of things working there. Also worked for the city of Georgetown, the village of Potomac, the village of Tilton, and my hometown of Catlin. As a, as a patrolman. Yeah. So. Now you said uh, at one point, uh, so you you had made chief as as a highest point. You were captain elsewhere. Um, I was a captain have, there. Same when, place. When, when Oakwood went to a full-time police okay. chief uh, financially, I it wasn't in the cards for me. So uh, I stepped down to being the captain and, and they hired a full-time police chief at that time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Seen a lot, done a lot. Uh, like Jeff, I'm a I'm a police firearms instructor. I'm not a master. He's he's a master, so he can actually teach uh, the 40 hour mandatory firearms training to police officers. What I can do is qualify him. Okay. So, uh, 
I was a breathalyzer operator. If you got arrested for DUI, I could, I could do that. <laughs> uh, took a lot of different classes. Some of them is pretty neat. Uh, I took this one class. Uh, it was kind of funny. The There was a police officer there. You know, when you have classes, you always got a group, and there's always one eager guy that, or girl that's got a – you know, always got their hand out, always saying something, this, uh-huh. that, and the other. And it was, uh, the class was called Reed School of Interrogation. And they teach you human behavior about finding out when people are uh, trying to be untruthful or trying to deceive you. There's certain characteristics a human will do all the time. It's how their body reacts and that. And at the end of the first day, as a retired lieutenant from Waukegan Police Department that taught it. And at the end of the first day, he told us to go home, try it with our kids, try it with our wives, you know, mess around with our friends. Next day, he said this this gentleman was just quiet, never said anything. He just kind of down in the dumps. And he said, so the first break we had, he said, I asked him, I said, are you feeling okay? He said, yeah, I, I think my wife's having an affair on me. And he said, well, oh, now, God. now, now, there's 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 a lot more training to go. Let's, let's <laughs> not get carried away. And. By the end of the class, I found out his, his wife had been sleeping with his cousin for oh no several years. Yeah. And then the other interesting class I took. At- <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a really quick transition off of that. <laughs> but, oh, that, wow. But after, but after one class, though, yeah. one day, he, he, he was able to take the... yeah. Yeah, he what he had uh, learned and yeah. knew something was up. Yeah, it's uh, oh, it's pretty neat. Uh, during class, they showed us politicians, and that was right at the Bill Clinton impeachment type okay. of thing. And and uh, they were showing interviews with him, and we as a class had to say, "Is he being deceitful? Or is he telling the truth?" And we would we could determine that. They showed us murder interviews, people being interrogated on murders, and that it was pretty cool. Uh, one of my pet peeves, and the guy never thought about it, but when you're wearing a uniform, there's always, and then, and this might have happened to you. You know, your dad might have done this to you, but it's it's pretty common. I go in with my family to eat dinner or whatever during my lunch hour, and there'd always be some parent, you better behave or he's going to take you to jail. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day I pulled a grandparent aside and I says, I understand what you're doing because my grandma used to do that. But also what you're doing is telling your, your child that's the only function of a law enforcement officer. Yeah. You know, we want to be their friend. They, all, they can approach us if they got questions or, uh, you know, if they have an issue or if they just want to say hi. You know, we're, we're human beings. This is just a job. Well, I never really looked at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I did when I was the Oakwood police chief, I had a couple officers that were really into fitness and stuff like that. I went and bought a police issued mountain bike and I would give them free reign. You come out and work as many hours as you want, whenever you want, you got some time you want to come run that bicycle for a couple hours, do it. And you'd see the police officer riding that bike. It was great for public relations. And, sure. and there's a ton of kids on bicycles riding behind them. It was really neat. That's cool. That's a lot really of fun. Neat. Yeah, you know, I, I've had to catch myself with that same thing before, uh, dealing with four kids that are eight and under, um, trying to keep them all in their seatbelts. 
even when they're in their five point harnesses, they know how to get out of those things. Oh yeah. Um, they don't make those child proof enough. Uh, I haven't found one child proof enough yet. Anyway. No. Um, so they, they know how to get in and out. Uh, and I've always, we, we, we have used the, you know, if you don't, you know, we're going to be in trouble. It's like, it's not you that's going to be trouble. It'll be mommy or daddy. That's, you know, having to answer to the, the officer if we get pulled over and, you know, he sees that you're not in your seatbelt, but we've been trying to shift that right? <laughs> because, because I'm, I am aware of that kind of negative connotation that you're putting on the law enforcement there that now they're, they're just out to get you. And that's, that's not the case. Right. Um, and so we're, we're really trying to shift that to like, it really is about your safety. And we've, we've preached that all along, but like, well, I haven't, I'm fine. I, you know, I won't get hurt. Like, so I'm trying to pull out YouTube videos now of like, here's what happens when you're not in the right, right. <laughs> properly restrained. You don't stay with your seatbelt on. Um, so we're, you know, we're, we're still navigating that and, and, and dealing with that. Uh, any advice to me? <laughs> well, you know, if, uh, here's what I did one time. Uh, there was a, there was a guy that actually he was a, a road diesel mechanic, worked on semis, uh, had a revoked driver's license. And I, I'd picked him up a couple of times and took him to jail for it. And I seen him driving one day, whipped around. I stop him and I said, Jim, you know, you're not supposed to be driving. You're going to take me to jail. Yep. I'm going to take you to jail. So I called for a wrecker. I got him handcuffed and did an inventory of his vehicle and everything. We're sitting in the back seat and a mom pulls up behind me. She gets out of the car and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, I step out. I said, can I help you, ma'am? And she says, can you help me with my child? I said, what happened? There's a, a Phillips 66 right across the street from the Oakwood pilot now. And they were mom and pop truck stops back in says, I caught my kid shoplifted in there. I said, how old is she? I said, seven. I said, here's what I want to do. I said, if it's okay with you, uh, this, this person I got in the back seat, I said, I know him. So this is a driving fence. I haven't put on a show for her, mm. this, that, and the other. So I get back in the car and say, hey, Jim, you not want to go to jail? He said, no, I don't want to go to jail. And I said, well, you're going to have to eat a tow bill. I said, but you tell this little girl that you're in here for stealing. And kind of put on a little bit of a show for her. And I said, I'll let you walk. And uh, he did. And I'm sure that little girl learned her lesson. Because when I was a kid, I stole a box of Cracker Jacks from an old Eisner's on East Main in Danville for the tattoos. I was hmm. four years old. I remember it like it was yesterday. And my mom's roommate took me straight to jail. Never taken a thing since. Hmm. And I, I remember I'm 49 years old and I remember that's 44 years ago. I 45 years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, that it isn't about revenue and it isn't about, you know, tickets are designed to correct people's driving behavior. But what I got out of that far outweighs what the village would have got out of a ticket. Mm -hmm. If that little girl straightens up and maybe if you know a police officer, or one day when your kid keeps wanting to get out of seat, pull in, talk to the police officer. Hey, can you talk to my kids for me? They will. They'll be more than happy to. Hmm. And sometimes it takes that and they're like, oh, I can't believe you did that, dad. Like, you ratted me out. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> why did, why did you do that, dad? Ah. And, but you know, and there isn't, 
There isn't a police officer in the world that wouldn't do that for a child. Hmm. Well, I just might end up trying that if we uh, it gets there. I, that's 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 interesting. I mean that that talks about then that it changes your your viewpoint about what the police officer is there for. Right. Shifts shifts that view of there to just get the bad guys right. Right. Uh, to actually there to help the community. Right. Uh, I, I love you know seeing those stories and interactions where you see the the police officer you know, playing some pickup basketball with some guys on the street and, and stuff like that, you know, just getting out and, and being with. I used to help the kids in Oakland on Halloween throw toilet paper. They toilet paper trees. <laughs> I get out and like, here, you, you don't know what you're doing. I, I am certain one time you I saw. You can edit that part I, I, out. I, no, I, I, look, I, I had my time <laughs> doing, <laughs> doing TPing. And uh, there was one time where, where blue and red lights, uh, started to come into the picture. So uh, we were not caught. (laughs) 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 We got out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good times. Good memories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Hi, this is Lisa from recruiting at new spawn. And I'd love to answer any questions you have about driving with us. Give us a call at 309-268-1199 or visit newspomjobs.com. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Terminal Exchange, the official podcast of Newspom Transportation. If you're enjoying our content, please leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word about these important topics and invite more people into conversation. You can rate and review us on your podcast app or visit us online at terminalexchange.org. New episodes arrive every other Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow Newsbomb on your favorite social media platforms and be the first to know when new episodes are released. Thanks for listening. Until next time, own every moment and stay purpose-driven.